want their world to grow larger? That is not a rhetorical question. Who wants a bigger world? That was so profound and good. I want my world to get bigger. Amen. So just, yes, Lord, thank you as we open your word and for your presence in our midst. And what an unbelievable privilege it is to gather with other believers and those seekers, skeptics, sinners, and saints, all are welcome. All have a front row seat to gaze upon our King Jesus and all of his beauty. So God, give us eyes to see now as we open your word and your word challenges us, confronts us. Ultimately, it serves as a bridge and a doorway into life eternal if we'll give way to it and respond to your reach. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name's Chad, and I uh, have the privilege of pastoring this beautiful church. And uh, that was Jade who led us in worship today. Can you say thank you to Jade? What a joy to have Jade lead us. And uh, for those, there are some new people here, just want to say thank you. If you want to connect at all with our church, that's the magic portal, the QR code that goes to like 25 resources or none. You know, that's what that is. That's that, the QR code. And uh, we got a bunch of helpful resources to help you learn what the story of the Bible is, how to read the Bible, how to grow in prayer. A lot of helpful things on the other end of that QR code. Also a chance to fill out a connect card if you do want more info about the church. Um, So that's what that is. And uh, again, for those of you who don't know me, I'm married. I have a beautiful wife, Haley. You'll hear her voice through that thin little wall. She's mostly every week teaching our kids ministry along with other amazing volunteers. And uh, just on our, on our behalf, we just want to say thanks for being here on a, on a Sunday morning. We know you could be anywhere or anywhere but here, but you're here. And so just want to say it really is a thrill to, to open God's word and to be in Jesus's presence together. All right. So um, we've been in the conversation about what does it mean to uh, become citizens of, of the kingdom of God? What does it mean to live like Jesus taught his disciples an on earth as it is in heaven lifestyle. When you were born again, when you put your trust in Jesus, you were transferred, Colossians 1, 13 through 14, from one kingdom into another. Before you were born again, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were under the control of the enemy, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, who is at work in the disobedient. But when you came in repentance and faith and bowed your broken, sin-laden heart before the Savior, He ripped out your heart of stone and he gave you a brand new heart that had his Holy Spirit inside of it. And when that happened, you were were rescued from one dominion, from one ruler, the, the devil, and you were brought into the family of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many are happy about this transaction that took place on no merit of your own, but just through repentance and trusting in the one who lived a life you could never live, who died the death you deserved to die to give you a life you could never earn. This is what happened. So when you were rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God and the son he loves, the kingdom of light, now our whole life is is learning to live out the Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven where we await for Christ not to come to bear sin, but to bring justice and judgment to the earth, to make all things new, Revelation 21 and 2. In the in-between space, the space we call normal time, we have a choice. What is our main operational reality? Do we live as uh, uh, 
out of, out of which identity, which story do we live out of? But if you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ, you are a part of a kingdom story. And your mandate, just like the son's mandate, Jesus's mandate, is to live an on earth as it is in heaven lifestyle. And so today, I want to just unpack a few things, get as far as we can. Um, I don't have a clock of, or of any sort, so buckle up, y'all. I literally, when I'm using this app to change slides, my, my clock leaves. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for helping us get through this word. So when we talk about in the kingdom of God, under the reign and rule of God, where God's will is being done increasingly and with greater uh, consistency in our lives as we yield to the beautiful lo- love and leadership of Jesus, how do you know you're, you're, you're getting good at it? How do you know you're growing in it? Is that a fair question? How do you know you're growing as a citizen of the kingdom? How do you know you're getting better? Did you know you can get better at following Jesus? Crickets. It's true. You can get better at it. You're not going to be the same you were when you got, were brought into the kingdom. Hopefully, by the time you breathe your last, increasingly, you're getting better. You're growing in a kingdom mindset and a kingdom lifestyle. And so I have this talk There's no way I'm going to get through all of it. So maybe it's going to be a one or two or three-parter. But I want to start. There's several several passages in the Gospel of Matthew particularly that I just love to hang a bunch of weight on because they they, they have the capacity to to do that. In the Gospel of Matthew, I challenge you, I'm going through it this, uh, I'm in a new little Bible reading plan of the Gospels this month. So, so fun. Uh, And if you underline the word great or greatness or greatest in, in, in the gospel, how many want to know what's on the other end of that word? If Jesus says, this is great, how many want to be a, a student to discover, well, if he says that's great, I want to go on a journey to figure out what that kind of greatness looks like in my life. Who in this room wants to settle for mediocre, just get by, your life is an asterisk and a footnote of someone else's story, but how many want to pursue a life of significance, greatness, and legacy that passes from one generation to the next? Every person on the planet wants to live a life of greatness. Now, obviously, immediately when we say the word great or greatness, there's 25 things that come into your head. Immediately, you probably thought power, position, platform, fame, followers, fortune, right? We, 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 we've, been, we've been conditioned by our culture, discipled by our culture to buy into a narrative that paints the picture of this is true greatness and this is true significance. But the unfortunate thing, those who've gone and actually possessed a measure of worldly greatness, their unanimous testimony, this is unbelievers, is saying, even if you get all the money in the world, it won't scratch the itch on the, on the, on the brokenness of your inside of your heart. I'm thinking of Jim Carrey, hilarious, infamous. It was, it was viral for a while where his, he was just on all of our social media platforms. And, and, but he would say, I wish everyone could just gain all the money in the world and get over with it so they'll realize it won't actually touch them in the deepest part, part of their heart. Now, none of us actually really believes that, so we'll spend our whole life trying to get and grasp and, until we arrive at some measure of perceived greatness and then realize we're still spiritually bankrupt. And the only one who can, ca- who can write a check to fill the, the, the void and the, uh, of the deposit of true riches and true life is the one who paid it all with his blood, Jesus Christ. This is introductory. So 
in the Gospel of Matthew, just get in it this week, there's 28 chapters, there's seven days, read four chapters a day and you read a whole Gospel. Or if you're feeling zealous, you can do it in about two and a half hours in one sitting. That's like four Netflix shows. Can we just talk about Netflix for a second? Let's move on. The autoplay kills you, doesn't it? Before you know it, you're like, what the heck? There's, I just watched half a season. And then the Lord's like, you could have read my gospel in one setting in the same way. Let that sit for a moment, because I'm partially joking, but partially, I'm kidding. True greatness. So in, God, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus describes a few things of what he says greatness looks like. What he says, like pursuing this, and you'll find a life that you long to experience. So the first line of, of what does it mean to pursue true kingdom greatness? If, if I have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, I'm now a citizen and a son or daughter of the kingdom of God and, and the Father. How do I pursue greatness? So Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, and they asked him, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed a child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. When we begin to explore God's version and God's vision of true greatness in his kingdom, we are immediately confronted with he has a categorically different way of viewing greatness than I do. Can you just say amen to that? Um, in Jesus' day in the first century, unlike our day where children are literally like the idols and all, that we like build our lives around, if we're honest as parents, we're just killing ourselves trying to keep up with everyone else's kids and Unlike our day, kids were in Jesus' time, the first century, were like out of mind, out of sight. Like just keep them over there. Like worse than just like kids ministry on this other side of the wall. Like kids had very little significance. And so when Jesus is talking about greatness and he, and he, he, draw, he calls a little kid, this would have caused everyone's collective jaws to drop. Like kids, children are the greatest in your kingdom. And it's just so helpful to remind ourselves today, we are children in need of a father. I already painted the scripture briefly, but again, until you're born again, John 8, says you belong to a father who's the father of lies. He is a father who only wants to still kill and destroy and manipulate and coerce and dominate you into furthering his purposes, which is to destroy God's vision for the kingdom of heaven invading the earth. Our first need is that we need a father. We need a transfer. We are spiritually impoverished, but our father has all of the riches stored up for us in his son, Jesus. We are truly dependent on the Father for our very breath. And why I love this first doorway, this first, this first window that we can look through to pursue a life of significance, a life of legacy, a life of greatness. The doorway to greatness, just like the author of Proverbs says, is an adequate vision of our utter dependency and need, but his 
overwhelming desire to more than meet every need we'd ever have. It's twofold. A vision that, man, I am not self-sufficient, but then secondarily, but he is all sufficient and he's provided everything I would ever need. One of those visions is not enough. Amen? There's a lot of believers who they think like, we're good. I prayed a prayer. Someday I'll go to heaven, but they live self-absorbed, self-reliant, self-sufficient lives. Can I get an amen? So it's not enough just to believe, yeah, I believe I'm going to go to heaven someday and he has everything I need. He wants us to adopt the posture of a needy child and never grow up. Not not grow up into maturity and conquering sin and character, you know, I'm not saying not grow up in those ways. I'm saying the orientation of our heart is I am desperately needy, but he is all sufficient. And I want to live in a dependency upon God for all things and through all things. Neediness in the kingdom of heaven is not a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of you are a worthy recipient of the all-abundant grace that flows through my son, Jesus Christ. The thing is, we are, we are conditioned to hide our neediness, to put fig leaves over our areas of brokenness and areas of insecurity and inadequacy. And Jesus says, your neediness doesn't put me out or put me off. Your pride does. That's a zinger. Humility expressing itself in a God-reliant reach and a wholehearted trust in the goodness of the Father. It is this orientation of life that Jesus calls great in his kingdom. When you think about a kid, when you think about a child, you think awe and wonder, joyful. You think needy. You think desperate, dependent, and it's this whole package that Jesus says, it's those people. No one is, bo- listen, you, you and I are born in sin and we are raised to be self-sufficient, self-reliant. So therefore, to, to, listen, I love this language again of Jesus. Whoever takes, everyone say takes. Whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest. Did you know it's a posture we take? That dethroning of self, I am, an, I am a child in need of a father, but you're the best that there is, and you have all that I would ever need. And I I refuse to grow up as it pertains to how much I need you and how much you're willing to provide all that I need. Jesus says, this is the greatest in the kingdom. Because in the kingdom of God, all of life is an expression of the benevolence and cheerful giver that we call the Father. Did you know that you serve a cheerful giver? Did you know that the Father is not stingy? Did you know, come on, help me out. The father is not like, okay, I poured out grace on them. Now that's all I got. Like his, his source runs out. He's tapped out. No, he is the cheerful giver. When Jesus wanted to paint a picture of how good the father is, what did he say? If you then, human fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It brings glory. It brings joy to the... Listen, when my kids... Well, sometimes. This doesn't always apply. When I'm healthy and good, and my kids... And I know there's something that only I can provide for them. There's no greater joy in the Father's heart. I I am happy to provide that for you, for you to get through this mess, for you to get over that hurdle, for you to grow, and for you to stretch and to become 
a young man or a young woman in my household. That's a delight. Your neediness doesn't put me out. I love being able to be a father to you. Times infinity is the father in heaven. I love being a father to you. I love meeting your needs. Here's the fact of the matter is, in the kingdom of God, we're not trying to earn our way into greater favor and acceptance because we already bear the Father's name. Can you imagine if you could spend all of the energy you and I spend trying to strive, trying to get, and trying to earn, and we allowed the the truth of the gospel to go deeper into our inner soul and our spirit to realize, I bear the name of the Father over my life. What would happen if we started living out of a deep sense that we are already accepted, we already belong, we already have significance? How much would that liberate us from the millions of little squirmishes and rat races around us trying to find significance, belonging, purpose, identity from all of these other sources that we live in prison cells of fear? What would happen if the, if the gospel could touch us and we were just set free? And we walked around as the most accepted, aware of the Father's love. Yes, our neediness, but his desire to cover us and provide for us in an ongoing measure. What would happen if you actually believed you bore the name of the Father? You already had his favor and his acceptance. How many think we would find ourselves a little bit more equipped to let go of the things that we're using to prop ourselves up so as to look significant in the eyes of others? Anybody? If I believed I already had the favor, already had the acceptance, I'm a child in the kingdom of God, that would free me from a thousand lesser things that are just exhausting me, if we're honest. How many know it's exhausting to try to live for the approval and the applause of others? Why? Their opinion changes. You know what pleases the Father? It's always the same thing. Your desperate dependency on him and your confession of your neediness and his opulent, overflowing heart that says, I can't wait to keep providing for you. Just stay in that posture. He doesn't change. Hey, today this pleases me. Tomorrow I'm going to change the dial. No, it is written. The greatest in the kingdom of those who take the lowly position of a needy child, and then they never leave that posture. This is the attitude of the rich ruler. He, was, he believed, he, had, he was working out of a false caricature of God. Did you know we suffer, uh, A.W. Tozer says this, that the root of all idols and sins and other lusts and pleasures is at the root of it is a low view of God. How many believe so often we settle for a low false caricature of how good, great, and glorious God really is as he's revealed in his word and through his son, Jesus. And often the God that we're trying to please is a God of the figment of our own imagination, not the God and Father revealed in the scriptures. That's why you gotta open this book, beloved. You gotta know the God that you've given your heart to and who who bankrupted heaven so that you could be rescued and brought into the fullness of his son. Open this book. Become a student of his character and identity. But look at the attitude of the rich ruler. This really is drawn out in Mark 10 and Matthew 18. The rich ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have? Everyone say, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I've kept all the rules. I checked all the boxes. Have I done enough yet to earn eternal life? 
And if we're honest, there are a lot of people in this room who are by nature earners and doers. We don't believe we're fully accepted yet. I remember in my youth, um, I'm almost 40, so I've graduated from youthfulness. I remember how often when I would sin or break God's heart, I would like go into self-inflicted Chad prison to try to get God's favor back. No, no, I am dead serious. I would like, if I sinned or I, I watched something when I struggled a little bit with lust when I was 15, 16, um, I would, after, you know, after if I watched something or did something that I knew broke God's heart, I would, I would go into self-inflicted, I would read like the Bible three hours, God, do you love me again? Now, I know the Bible really well for a reason, okay? In my youth, I used to, not bragging, this is an honest confession. I want you to know there was nothing you could have ever done to make you acceptable in God's sight, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or love you less. Chad, that's a sloppy view of grace. No, it's an accurate view of grace. God doesn't need you to climb up some proverbial hill that's layered with jagged pieces of rock, cutting yourself up to try to find yourself back into his arms of favor and love. He already came down that mountain. You have it. The evidence of growing up and maturing is not a low view of of grace or a cheap view of your sin. It's to realize, man, that really wasn't worth it. God, I want to follow you again. I want to trust you and keep walking. And let's just pick up where we left off. The amount of times I thought I needed to go back to the starting line of my journey of faith would startle you. That's not how it works. Can I get an amen? Anyone in this room besides me that live those patterns of lifestyle in my youth, and I know the Lord loves our youthful hearts, but I want you to know God right here, right now, no matter even what you did last night, he wants to meet you with his grace. He has a door that's open. He has a table set with food on it and a seat with your name on it. He says, just let's just go fellowship again right here, right now. Let's pick up where we left off. Let my grace heal you and transform you. This rich ruler thought he had to do a bunch of things to earn God. But here's what he said in verse 20. Unbelievably, he says, all of these I've kept what do I still lack? The fact of the matter is, perfect record rule keeping will not fill the void that God put in his heart, the heart of every man and woman, the void that can only be filled through relationship. Not rule keeping. Can we just give a collective breath? What do I still lack? First of all, the dude lived probably a very good life. If he's standing before Jesus, he's like, I kept all those laws since I was young. I couldn't have said that. Anybody else? But the dude still, this rich guy still realizes something's missing. Rule keeping, religious zeal, energy, exertion, effort. It's not getting me to the life that I long to live. So Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, or the the word is telos, if you want to have a complete life, a full life, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So the guy's issue wasn't, am I keeping all the rules? The issue was idolatry. Something in his heart and life was more important than the life Jesus wanted to give him. Does that touch anybody here this morning? 
Something was more significant and important in his heart. He thought, if I don't have fill in the blank, then I will not live a full and flourishing life. He says, but that thing that you're looking to and that's propping you up, that's the thing I actually want you to give me so that the lack that you fill can be filled with my fullness. The reality of a heart that's, that's been ravished by the love of God. When the, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, again, juxtapose this with kids. We're talking about the greatest in the kingdom. It is really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, unlike children, the rich, that was synonymous with they had the blessing of God in Jesus's day. So A, Jesus is saying, become, take the position of a child, then you'll be the greatest in the kingdom. They're like, we don't have a category for that. Now, rich dude who's law-abiding, rule-keeping, goes away sad, all of their categories are broken for kingdom greatness. If anyone had your blessing and deserved your favor, it's this guy. That's why they're like, what, what are, well, they were greatly astonished and asked, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible. Read it with me. But with God, all things are possible. When we receive, our new, we receive our new identity, our place of acceptance, belonging, eternal life as a sheer gift, and then we get to reciprocate these great gifts by living a life of grateful service, love and action, because we're in a kingdom that we could never earn or perform our way into. The reason Jesus said it's hard for people with means is because they have options. They have other resources to take care of all of their felt needs and then some. And to forfeit that place of control and power is really, really hard. Can I get an amen? To forfeit the place of control and power, it's the ultimate issue. Who is your Lord? Who is your Father? And if you're in this room, you're like, I couldn't do that. You're right but there's one who can help us lay every idol at the altar of his all-sufficiency. Jesus says it's actually impossible from a human standpoint, but praise God, we're talking about the God who raises the dead. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And he, if you're in this room and you're like, Chad, I've, I've strived, I've reached, I've, I've tried this, I've tried that, I but there's still a, a, a emptiness, a sense of lack in your heart. I might ask you like Jesus, I love, I think it's Mark's version of the same story. He looked at the young rich ruler and he, it says he loved him. He loves us in, in our mess. He loves us in our clouded, divided hearts, but he's not gonna change the dial. Jesus will have no rivals in our hearts. And here's the reality. Philippians 2, I, this is a big passage. It says in Philippians 2 that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here's the reality. Every tongue is going to confess that. But right now in this age of grace, when we live in the patience of God, we can actually yield our lives to his lordship as an offering uh, not at the end of the age, it's every knee's going to bow, whether you want to or not. But right now, 
yes, right here, even in this room, we can participate in this epic privilege to bow before Jesus and acknowledge you are the Lord. Everything I am and everything I have, it belongs to you. Many of us are cool with Jesus being our Savior. We thought Jesus being our Lord was optional. But he, he's, you get the whole package. Amen? He's the Savior of your sin, and he's the Lord to whom everything you have, all that you have is a gift from him anyway. So it's kind of like a, a rigged equation, right? I, I love when King David was building, the, he was getting ready to build the temple. It's at the end of two Chronicles, the very end. I'm sorry, uh, first Chronicles. And everyone's giving all of their money. I mean, I don't know the equivalent, the, the modern equivalent. Millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. All the leaders of Israel, David emptying his own treasury just so that God could have a temple in Israel. And I love this. David prays this prayer. He says, Lord, all that we gave you, you gave to us first anyway. I'm telling you, in the kingdom of God, that's always going to be true. Whatever you think, oh, I'm zealous, I'm giving it all. He's like, I gave it to you first. I, everything in your life is because I'm a good father and I've given good gifts, even to the undeserving and ungrateful. That's what he says. He causes his reign, Matthew 5, 42 through 48, to reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. That's how good the father is. And so when Jesus comes to all of us in this room and we say, I'm lacking something, Jesus, the, the next thing he's going to press is that thing, that person, that platform, those resources, whatever you're leaning on, whatever lie you're believing, that if you take that away from me, I will have nothing. That's the thing. He's like, trust me with that. And then you'll enter through the impossible eye of the needle door into life in the kingdom of God. How many know this is super, super hard? That's why he's like, it's easier for a camel to go through a needle. So you know what it is? If it's impossible human means, you know what I do? Jesus, search my heart. If there's idols, will you show them to me? Will your grace enable me to let go of those things I'm grasping for to give me life and purpose? Let me grasp you instead. Did you know you can ask God to help you do what is humanly impossible? Come on. That was good. That's not in the notes. You, that's the whole point. Jesus, I am the rich ruler. If I didn't have this or that or that, would I really still love you? And you know what my next internal private prayer time is? Lord, I want to, I want to believe that. Help me believe it. My heart, you know my heart. I can deceive myself, Jeremiah 17, 7 through 10. The heart is wicked, it's deceitful. Who can discern the inner workings of the human heart? But there is one, Psalm 33, Psalm 19, who looks from heaven right into the very heart of every human on the planet. His vision is perfect. His word is precise. And you know what? Instead of hiding the issue and then living a impudent, powerless, passionless Christianity, we can at least acknowledge there's areas in my life that you need to conquer, Jesus, and here they are. Come, Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I can be honest about those issues. I don't have to hide them and then settle for a cheap, counterfeit version of Christ following. I want to be aflame with the love of God on the inside. And you know what kills passion, fervor, intimacy, competing idols in your heart and my heart? That just dampens and dulls the entirety of our walk. How many know what it is to have a dampened and dulled heart? 
How many know that is not the inheritance that the Father wants to give his sons and daughters in his kingdom? He wants our hearts to be fully alive. In order to get there, he wants to have a showdown with all of us, just like this rich ruler. What's the thing you're looking to, leaning on, and relying on that if that was taken away, you would have no sense of self? Let me have that so that I can speak true identity, purpose, and destiny over you. You are mine. You're my beloved. You're my child. I'm for you. Who can be against you? If I'm in you, you're more than a conqueror because great. I could go on and on. We get to trade the thing we're relying on for all that he's made available to us through his son, Jesus. Back to what Jesus said about children in the kingdom. Whoever takes the lowly position of the child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever takes the lowly position so as to humble ourselves before the king of the kingdom, this is the pathway to true greatness. I just, I'm gonna pause there. This will be a three-parter because I got three more, two more points. I'll do another point next week and another the next. How many, how many find yourself in that childlike posture this morning? You're so aware of how needy you are. How many want to take the next step, not just to acknowledge your neediness, but to get a vision of his abundant provision today in the grace of God? You need both. It's not that we walk around, I'm needy, I'm needy. It's I'm needy and I know where to get bread. I'm needy and I know where the river flows. I'm needy, but I know where every spiritual blessing is. It's in the Son. It's in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.3. So I'm going to confess. I want to take the position of a child. I don't need to be important in your eyes if I'm important in his. I don't need to strive for you to accept me if I'm already accepted in the beloved. Do you see? This this has amplifications every day, all day, throughout the day. I don't need, I've I've already received that. That's already positionally true. I am a heir of God, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. It was prayed earlier in pre-service prayer. I am a co-heir. All that the Son of God has coming to him in the age to come, I am a co-heir. I am a sharer of what is coming for all eternity. But yet you and I were rich, rich rulers. We still, we, we, don't, we don't fully get or believe that if this, that thing, whatever that core thing is, it can be different for all of us. But those core things inside of us, Jesus comes with love in his eyes and he says, will you trust me with that? God, it's impossible. He's like, you're right. It's impossible with human measures and human means. But when I'm involved, I specialize in making the impossible your reality if you'll just yield and surrender to me. Isn't that good news? Of course I can't do what's humanly impossible. I'm only a human the doorway into experiencing the impossible is confessing, help, help me. How many want Jesus today to help you make sense of the the confusion or the cloudiness of your heart, the dullness of our hearts? You want Jesus to come and to give you singleness of heart and mind. How many would want that this morning? I love what Soren Kierkegaard said, the, the theologian, he said, the purity of heart is to will one thing. How many want that to be true of their little heart today? I want to take that great posture of childlike wonder, awe, surrender, submission, that that neediness and dependency, 
And the first thing as a child, I love that the stories are in order. That's Matthew 18, and here's Matthew 19. The first thing I want to ask for as a child is, God, give me a heart undivided that just wants, what you, just wants you and what's what you want, wants what you want. How many want to join me in that lowly request this morning? God, give me, give me a singleness of heart. Give me a pure heart, the heart to know you and love you. If you want to respond in that measure, and, and, and wh- whether it's wealth like the rich ruler or there's something else in your heart and life, but you would just want to stand and respond, Lord, help me. I want singleness of heart, purity of heart. Can you just stand with me? And I want to pray for us and with us this morning. We want to become great in your kingdom, Lord. I love the language. Unless you change, praise God, there's an option to change this morning and become. Praise God, there's power to be transformed this morning. You will never enter the kingdom. But if you take, if you respond to my grace I'm releasing and you take the lowly position, you'll find yourself in the greatest position, the greatest place in the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) So right now, before I pray over us, just offer your prayer to God. Maybe you pray like David, search me and know me, Lord. Test me. Just look into my heart like the rich ruler. And if there's anything in there that I'm reaching for, I'm leaning on or relying on, God, would you help me to surrender that to you this morning? And then men, just pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, give me a heart that beats only for you. Create in me a pure heart. Renew within me a steadfast spirit, a heart to know you, a heart to love you, a heart to obey you, a heart that grows each day and a hunger for you. So, Lord, right now, I surrender all the other things that I look to, that I lean on, that I grasp for to give me the truest sense of my identity. And Jesus, instead, would you speak over me your love, your purpose, and your acceptance. God, I thank you that today, even by faith, camels went through needles. (laughs) What was impossible for us, you in your infinite power and grace can make possible. God, I ask this week that we would go on that journey, refusing to turn the dial, that we want to pursue and take the lowly position of a child where we're aware of our neediness, but we know who our father is. I pray, Lord, our church, that we would grow. You would conquer areas of pride and self-reliance, self-promotion, that we would take the lowly position in the other Bible passages that when we go low, he can lift us as high as he wants to lift us. So this week, Lord, I pray for breakthrough in jobs. I pray for breakthrough in the workplace, those areas that we can easily settle for a different narrative and live out of a different kingdom. I pray that you would raise up your people in this hour who take the lowly position of a child, 
that your favor would flow to them and through them to the lives that they love and lead and do life with this week. God, I thank you that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So I'm asking that you would pour out immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to your power that's at work within us. To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. If you guys want prayer, Timothy's gonna pray. We're gonna have just a space of encountering God's love if you want. If not, love you guys so much. Come up for prayer. Love to talk with you if you need anything. Bless you.